everyone, and welcome to episode 34 of the Light Shed podcast. I'm Brandon Ross, along with Walter Pysik and Richard Greenfield. And a little Empire Strikes Back there, which was obviously sort of the biggest topic of the week, or at least the, the last 24 hours. But I know you guys are sad because instead of watching the Disney Analyst Day last night, um, as a lot of people listening to this podcast were, you were supposed to be at the FCC Chairman's Dinner in D.C. like you have for the last, I don't know, probably 20 years. And unfortunately, COVID spoiled that. My wife was happy I was home last night versus in D.C. for Hanukkah. The only bad part was I, doubt I was that, stuck Rich. on a Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that was telecom, actually really the, good, Brandon. The telecom com. The telecom I mean, com. you have said in the past that she's asked you to go on fake business trips, right? That's true. We we do separate <laughs> for business trips in, in in a COVID world. That is pretty funny. But well, oh, this, this is com. a cute picture. Yeah, that you guys have up was, here was a great thing. Thank you. That's us with Chairman Pai three years ago. Um, actually, this picture was taken right after I told him how my all my children who watch had you know still watch a lot of YouTube thought that he was basically the devil because of net neutrality <laughs> at the time. I, I remember that person. So when I showed yes. them this picture, they still really weren't completely convinced based on what they were told on YouTube. But also over what over they five, thought he had like a tail and horns or something. <laughs> well, the net neutrality fight was obviously pretty big and pretty nasty at that point. But over yeah. um, Chairman Pai's left shoulder is you can see um, uh, Commissioner Carr. Yes, it is Commissioner Carr. He obviously probably had hoped that he could become chairman, likely disappointed that that Trump has lost the election, as Pi has acknowledged. Um, pending by, by agreeing to pending Supreme Court litigation. <laughs> I think I think Chairman Pi has acknowledged that Trump has lost the election because he's leaving on January 20th. But also this week in FCC news, um, something that I got wrong in past podcasts is that um, Nathan Simington was confirmed so O'Reilly has now stepped down. So what's going to happen going forward is January 20th, Pi steps down. You've got um, two by two commissioners. It's likely that Commissioner um, Rosenworcel gets appointed uh, the chairman in a 2-2 FCC. She can then control the agenda. Her term comes up this year. So the, so the true tinfoil hat um, conspiracy theorists would say like, well, maybe Rosenworcel doesn't get um, renewed, they don't apply a third one, and it's a two to one majority for Republicans. I'm trying to look to see if there's like a statute where the president can effectively fire one of the commissioners to make it one one, but it could be two one. It doesn't change the fact that the president appoints who the chairman is. So if it's one one, or excuse me, two one, basically the Democrat will be the chairman. They control the agenda and effectively just won't bring things to vote. So it's kind of a crazy situation at the FCC. My guess is like it's just people you know, getting triggered and that you're going to see the Republicans confirm and um, someone at some point within the next six months and we'll get back to three, two and, and life will get back to normal. And we haven't really heard any speculation about who that chairperson will be. I mean, well, it's it could been be very Marshall, right? It could it be Rosen Marshall, but but look, the Democrats are going to have to put up someone else as an additional commissioner. That third person could be put up as a chairman or as a just a third commissioner for the Democrats. Right. I mean, obviously, the last time they went outside of the agency for Tom Wheeler um, to someone that was sort of friends of Obama, it'll be interesting whether this is a friend of Biden or whether this is an existing commissioner. 
And a lot of this will depend on what happens in Georgia and, and who controls the Senate. And, and, and at that point, like getting someone through confirmation that's controversial, that might, might represent the far left element of the Democratic Party would obviously be more challenging than, than someone that's, that's uh, perhaps a little bit more down the middle. So when we think about leaning into the future, it, Disney really did a pretty incredible job last night. I mean, behind me is a screenshot uh, from the analyst day yesterday or the investor day yesterday. And it was just astounding just how much content Disney's putting up. I mean, we'd been routinely criticizing them for not investing enough in Disney plus they were talking about by 2024, they were going to be getting to $4 billion of content spend. Well, they basically told you last night that 4 billion is going to eight to 9 billion for Disney plus. And that's, on top of that, there's going to be spending for additional content for Star and other things that are going to flow into Disney Plus over time. And it, it just it was and, a, Hulu, and Hulu. Yeah, although, I mean, Obviously. Hulu seemed Hulu seemed less exciting in the scheme. I mean, yes, yeah. it's still it's only a U.S. service. I'm there's sure a some, lot of that will find its way onto Star, though, in in other markets. Yeah, I'm sure it will. It just last night really felt like, you know, it really felt like this was if you're a Marvel or Lucasfilm, you know, Star Wars, or a Disney animation fan, you have to subscribe to the service now. I don't care where you live in the world. They've made this a must subscribe. It's not just a one hit wonder in Mandalorian anymore. That's right. That was I the big change. The, the, I, I, look, I think if we look at the content, well, first of all, I we have to say, Disney said all the right things last night, in my view. Um, putting the consumer first, embracing change, being flexible. If we go back, I don't know, three, four years and and look at the the direction of the company, um, they've come a an incredibly long way. I think we would yeah. be pleased with where they're at. Now, but looking at that content, there's there's two ways to analyze it. There's there's breadth and depth. And I think on the on the depth scale, as you just pointed out, um, what they presented was incredible. As you said, if you are a fan of any Disney yeah. franchise, um, there is going to continuously be something for you. On I mean, breadth, look, look at all of hold on. Look about all this content for Walt. I mean, Walt is a Star Wars Mandalorian super fan, as everyone on this podcast that listens knows. But <laughs> but look at the spinoffs. I mean, they're giving Walt for the next four years, more to watch than he could possibly consume. Well, anyone that listened to this podcast also knows that when we were talking about Mandalorian, it was quite clear that they were trying to create a new Marvel universe and they just, you know, dropped yeah. a shit ton of content that shows the new universe um, that is obviously going to keep churned down for those people. And, and look, the other stat they talked about last night, which shocked some people, is that the majority of subscribers, um, in fact, didn't have kids. And look, my kids don't. I couldn't believe watching, that, actually. My kids aren't watching Mandalorian. Look, Marvel is also kind of a millennial type of thing. So this is this is kind of the, the venue they're going to go down. And frankly, like, look, maybe so it's do, do your kids like this better. I mean, uh, this is the Marvel content they showed off. Like, this is more what they care about. I think Marvel will probably resonate more with uh, with my kids. But, we'll you know, we'll see how it goes. Like, you know, kids taste obviously, you know, change over time. And. And look, the Marvel Universe kind of wrapped up with Endgame, so they kind of have to re regenerate that. That's why, to to me, but like, there's so many characters. Like, sure. if you go back through 
you know, Marvel comics. There's just there's yeah, an they were endless it, right? they were, array, they were movie, as Rich movie. likes they were, they to were say. Like individual character movies, and then they had Endgame, so that it kind of came. So we'll see. Like you know, what's the next one to come out? Black Widow, yeah. and they're, they're well, no, I mean. That. WandaVision, which actually didn't look all... I, mean, I think that was actually the one thing that looked sort of weird last night was WandaVision, which is the next Marvel show up in January. But Loki looked awesome. Like, I, I want to see Loki. When oh, I saw you, that. you thought Loki looked awesome? I, oh, I, like, I thought it looked awesome. I really did. I don't think the Marvel shows, to me, were as big a deal for people that were watching in the Marvel Universe. I don't think the tie-in is as good because unlike Mando, which was better than nearly most of the, of the Star Wars it's interesting. Movies, I just wasn't as good. I'm in a Slack chat with my brother's friends who are all like kind of fanboys, I would say. Of Marvel He's not, or Star but for Wars? some reason, just in general, Marvel and Star Wars. And they were, you know, they didn't get to see the content like we did, but they were popping off about all the Marvel um, content that was yep. coming also. So I think. I, you know, again, getting back to what we we're talking about from a depth perspective, you have it. The question now is if you want to be a global Netflix competitor and live in that size scale, um, are you going to have the breadth to reach everybody? And truthfully, I really, really liked Rich and Walt what they did in Europe with star integrating it directly into the Disney service for the first time. It feels like felt like to me, they, they do have aspirations to be a real Netflix competitor with something for everyone in one place. That yeah. being said, we haven't seen what that star content exactly is going to look like and how much they're going to invest against it to actually build that out the way that a Netflix who obviously has a, a much higher content budget though, um, it is building out. I mean, people say four quadrants, but really there's a lot of micro quadrants. What's, like, the, what's the difference in the budgets versus what Disney said versus what Netflix is spending? On, but, on I mean, Netflix, basis. we're talking for that same eight year. I think we're talking about three X that probably like low to mid twenties is what we'll see from Netflix in 2024. Well, so well, hold on, hold on. But, but if you add up both star um, Disney Plus True. and Hulu. That's, that's fair. You're probably at 13 to 14 billion for okay. Disney, yeah, and Netflix will probably there. be mid 20s. Yeah, 20. So I was I was thinking in my there. mind probably around like 23, 24. Now remember, the, uh, the biggest part of that difference is Disney still sending their movies to theaters primarily, not to streaming, which is what Netflix is doing. So I'd say the Delta is probably the movie strategy yeah, is the difference. That's that's, a, that's probably a couple of billion though, right? But I think the to me, the biggest takeaway was actually less about Disney than when you see all of this content. All I could think about was what happens to the bundle? Like if you're not a sports fan, there's going to be no time left to watch anything on linear TV. Like the content on Disney Plus is amazing. The Apple TV Plus content we've been talking about is amazing. There's tons of great Netflix content. There's tons of great prime video content. Like you're not turning on the TV to watch a show. You're only turning on the TV to watch and, news or sports. That's it. And Rich, I, I will extend what you just said a little further to everyone who has a streaming service that isn't Netflix, Disney, and potentially 
HBO Max. I mean, you, when you're talking about having like a couple of billion dollar budget, like how the fuck are you competing with these guys, especially as they do, you know, invest in in more breadth? And like we talked about Discovery last week, and I know there were some exceptions to some of the comments um, that we made about their content. Um, however, I, like you look at Nat Geo and what was put up last night from Disney and you look at what Netflix is doing, like they are aggressively both of those companies expanding into the territory of others who have much lower content budgets and, and probably less to Consol offer. Consolidation is inevitable. I mean, I think that's the biggest takeaway in terms of the rest of the universe Everyone who's smaller is not going to be able to compete. It's going to force large scale consolidation like Peacock, Paramount Plus, all of these things. They're all going to be challenged given the, the, the cinematic quality. I mean, I really use that word like what yeah. you saw last night. But felt like going even, to movies. honestly, Rich, and we'll, we'll talk about this later when we talk about the creator economy and stuff. But it's just there's so much content out there from from across the scale, whether it's, you know, what we would consider, quote, budget or lower quality content all the way up to the top uh, with these really impressive um, shows and movies for the other thing that, that are going to functionally does is is take people out of the interface on their television. I mean, I know Comcast is trying to fight back in terms of the X1, but getting back to my friends that are bitching to me about dealing with HBO Max, yeah. frankly, frankly, Disney is helping them by taking them out of. You're going to reconsider what's in your living room. How are you going to interface with your product yeah. in that app world? Uh, it's going to help all of these services and really just kill the MVPDs. Yeah, I mean. Looking at it, it really cool, is. I think the MVPD thing matters in the U.S. more than it does in the rest of the world, right? And that's that's a big part of the profitability of these companies. But you make a really good point on on uh, we could get back to our discussion, our ongoing discussion about Roku and being a television gatekeeper. And I was thinking about this last night. If you have a much stronger Disney with a much stronger Netflix with a much stronger Apple, what does that mean in terms of the gatekeeper's ability to extract value out of that engaged audience if that engaged audience is going to be watching more and more at the top? You can't, and you can't stop. You, the, the key players cannot be stopped. Like you can't not have, I mean, I, I still believe Roku will have HBO max by Christmas day. Like you can't stop with, with the level of content that's coming to these streaming. And by services. the way, I'm not saying Roku stock won't work because I, I, it probably will continue to work, but just as we think longer, longer term, I mean, if, if it's sort of like YouTube content and then, you know, and then, um, professional streaming content is like billions and billions of dollars are being spent and consolidated across three properties. That's a tough, you know, Android, Android on the Sony TV that I bought works pretty fucking good. And like people are going to start getting tired of Velcroing the Apple TV or the Roku <laughs> on the back of their fucking television. Like, I, you know, well, this market is still not big I'm, enough. 
Um, it's funny. Like, I, I didn't know. Walt, to that point, I was talking to Vizio the other day, and they said I think eighty plus eighty five percent of people that use like connected TV, like I think eighty five percent of our audience does not use a dongle. Like they basically just use the Vizio interface. Right, but the, but the development in the last I'll tell year you or two what has a loser been I am in, in terms a of these in, TV, in part of these TVs. They've yeah, just gotten better. a lot better. They've gotten better, and they're going to continue to get better. And there's obviously reasons for people to upgrade. And the one thing I, that was. I um he's got some to add on that. Yeah, just I I, I was gonna say I got um a new Sony television. I had to replace a television and it comes with that Android interface, and yet I bought <laughs> another new Chromecast dongle to yeah. to put over it because it's just that much faster. Let's see how many people do that. Uh, no, I have most most people probably won't, but the integrated OSs on the TVs. It, it is. It isn't the best experience. On a Walt, sure. Walt is also getting. Walt's going to have the new OS next year. Like it will roll out to that Sony TV next year. Um, yeah, but it probably won't function as fast. But for most people, it's probably okay. So the one thing that wasn't talked about, we talked about everything that was talked about at Disney last. But the one thing that really wasn't was really what you said, Brandon. We really don't know the international content strategy. And what I thought was interesting, Netflix put up there what we watched in 2020 list and sort of just highlighted the one piece I thought was really interesting was that they talked about viewing of foreign language titles was up over 50 percent year over year, which is just sort of speaks to like Netflix has such a head start. And whether it's Disney, whether it's Apple, all of these companies, I mean, you saw a little bit with Apple, with Tehran. All of these yeah. companies are, are going to need to make major investments in local originals. There's actually a line in here further down where it says it wasn't just a U.S. phenomenon where over or international content was exploding. It said Money Heist Part Four, which is a Spanish original. Um, it's Casa de Papel. Yeah, that's Europe, a big that's the biggest show in the world, right? But it says it hit the top ten in 92 countries that Netflix exists in. So it's not just that U.S. audiences are watching. All over the world, global content is becoming more and more appealing. And I think, you know, not only is it cheaper to produce, which actually is really an, an interesting advantage, I think you're going to see, I think the next leg of, my guess is the next Disney Investor Day, we're hearing a lot more about international yeah. streaming content. Obviously, being we heard mostly that um, localized content, with, the discussion was mostly in India, where they have right. hot star and uh, they acquired that in, in the Fox deal. And yeah, uh, look, the ARPU is extremely low in India. But if you look at what the offering is, and the fact that they really meld together a ton of local content with the the premier content coming out of uh, the U.S. that that's tough to compete with in that particular market. So let's go to the shitstorm of the week. That um, Disney was the the obvious, you know, really exciting positive news. Then we go into the craziness that was set off, and we we touched on it obviously last week because Warner Brothers made the decision last week to take their entire film slate um, directly to HBO Max as well as theaters. But the blowback, which you saw a little bit of last week and we touched on, but the blowback hit really epic levels. And so <sighs> this was sort of just let me just read a couple of these. So we've got two things up on the slide. So Chris Nolan came out and said some of the industry's biggest filmmakers and most important movie stars went to bed the night before thinking they were working for the greatest movie studio and woke up to find out they were working for the worst streaming service. OK, then Dennis Villanueva. I'm sure I screwed that Villanueva. up. 
Villanueva. You're expected um, to screw it up, Rich, because you pr- you can't pronounce anything. But whatever. That's okay. Uh, I'm still working on <laughs> I'm still working on there and there, Brandon. I'm my, on my grammar I, side I, as well. I still don't remember your middle name, so it's all good. It's okay. <laughs> so he's the Dune director. Dune was supposed to come out, I think, Christmas Day actually, or if, Christmas week, I believe, was when Dune was originally slated. Dune is going now straight to HBO Max and theaters next year. He goes. I want the audience to understand that streaming alone can't sustain the film industry as we knew it before COVID. Streaming can produce great content, but not movies of Dune's scope and scale. Dude. How do you feel about that, Walt? I don't know. I got some, I tweeted some, obviously dunked on this guy um, and got some Twitter people telling me that he's been a huge disappointment at the box office historically. But look, the bottom line <laughs> is that's awesome. The movies are released at the same time and to me fear and anger are connected since i watch a lot of star wars submit to your fear um <laughs> the anger is clearly just fear that the emperor has no clothes in terms of the fact that people don't want to go to the theater and they'd rather view this stuff at home and the fear yeah. is that they're just not going to make a lot of as much money in the future as they did before so <laughs> The, the, what's uh, interesting, I, and you can get into the CAA quotes, but CAA and, is representing and, 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 the, and the art side, which the is the other thing that they that they, talk they, they about. make the argument of art. But like <laughs> again, people can watch their art in a movie theater if they wanted to. But the other thing is like you're gonna have some actors come out that are gonna make whatever fifty million dollars. Well, I don't even know what the numbers are, but ridiculous sums, living sick lives, jetting all over the place, and they're gonna cry about what they're gonna make. That's not gonna resonate well with the public. It just isn't. Whether it's fair or not. And it likely isn't fair. It just doesn't resonate. And AT&T's approach to this, while some people are going to attack it, it's like, look, is it easier to ask forgiveness or is it easier to ask permission? And they had 700 people to go to. So if they were going to do this changing thing, which the industry needed. I think I think there, there's a lot of issues here. Um, first, let's let's talk about what um, the directors and filmmakers are saying about their art and their and their wallets. Right. I think I think a lot about about music when when I when I listen to the this rhetoric and and read some of these statements and Meaning watching yes, a concert versus listening no, to a no, CD. No, it's like the thea- the theatrical experience is probably the best way to see their work, right? But I I personally think vinyl is the best way to listen to music, and I listen to records on my with my giant floor standing speakers, but technology has enabled con- convenience and a good enough experience in streaming. And most people don't want to listen on vinyl anymore. So the music industry has, has had to adapt. Why can't the film industry adapt in the same way? Wake up. Most the theater, the theatrical experience is vinyl and it's no longer for everyone. And there's a such thing as good enough. Right. And and it's not even just good enough. It's also, I think what Walt talked about before is like things like Mandalorian have been better than movies. And so the quality of content, I mean, the crown, I mean, same thing, the the way these things are getting filmed or produced, like you're absolutely right. The content that's getting, that's hitting streaming as television shows. I mean, is it better to see it like on an IMAX screen? Sure. Right. Okay. Have you seen the screen in my house? 
<laughs> I know you do have. Do and have my comfy that? sofa and the fact that your feet don't I stick to no the floor lead. and you don't have to have. Uh, and no kid, is, no kid is texting next to you and no one's talking and I don't know. Like, and by the way, they're not taking away that option for people. They correct. aren't. So like if you if you have enough confidence yeah. in your and art Sarnoff, that way. And Sarnoff made the point on CNBC this week that I that actually I found interesting, which is that the other studios just sold off their product to streamers at right. least, Paramount, Sony, at, et at least Warner's is releasing these films in the theater. It just so happens that they're doing it day and date with HBO Max as opposed to just outright selling it to a streamer. So Rich, if they storm off and right and they say, okay, fuck Warner, we're going to go somewhere else, who's going to take them? And who's going to say, like, we're going to do this in the theaters well, only look, and not, well, and not the, have streaming be other, a quick window component? Dude, Hold there's on. My guess is, my guess is, well, no, they're they're make, only how much are they going to get paid there? Look, look I, Disney, Disney clearly uh, took the all, Disney clearly took the alternative approach. Now, to be fair, Disney didn't tell you what windowing is going to look like. All they said was, we're sticking to theatrical release. Does that mean a 30 day window before they come out on streaming? Like we don't know anything. And Disney was pretty, I almost think what Disney did last night was well, almost didn't they have like in a box. 80% One title. of what, of what they're doing though is coming out direct to streaming. It's no, only, no, I'm talking theatrical movies. They, they basically said their live action major movies are going straight to theaters, but Black that they Widow. would retain flexibility in what that looked like. Correct. And, and so th that they were putting the consumer first and that the consumer was ultimately going to decide, which was pretty How much that putting the consumer for, to first. If you don't give them the option to watch it at home, how's that putting the consumer first? Because they said that they were going to maintain the flexibility, see how this played out. If the consumer does wind up showing that they prefer it to be differently, they will be flexible. How can they, how can I don't they, know. If, how can they show that they prefer it if it's not even given as an option? That makes no sense. Look, they're going to learn from Soul, which they're releasing directly to Disney Plus at no extra cost. Then they're trying this PVOD stupidity again with Raya in, I think, in March. And my guess is, based on where the pandemic is, PVOD's based terrible. on based on the results of PVOD, they're going to figure out whether or not what to do for Black Widow and beyond. I mean, my guess is I really think they took the, the, a road of saying we're filmmaker friendly and sort of did an anti-Warner. Like, I think a little bit of last night was to sort of hurt Warner a little bit and their decision-making process. That would be my, just my guess. That's a good point. And I, look, I don't know. Artists are still... Was there a musician-friendly uh, version to Spotify? Because Spotify, I talk to musicians that are friends and they hate Spotify. So was there a version of that? And how did that work well, out? Well, let, let's go to the next slide because that's a really important point, Walt, because the same thing that you're talking about with Spotify where, remember, all of, I mean, I remember when when um, Sean, um, why am I drawing a blank on his name? Sean Parker had to get involved to help negotiations because Daniel at Spotify couldn't get some of these deals done with like Metallica and some of these artists. Like, remember the whole Taylor Swift, like artists, creators, content, like they all hate change. And I think what you're seeing, and this is a CAA quote where the quote, um, the response to the Warner move was, you made a decision to release our clients movies in an unprecedented manner. A simultaneous release theatrically and on our own on on your own streaming service, HBO Max, 
without consideration of our clients' desires or contractual rights. It painfully violates the rights of a number of our clients who hold approval rights over distribution plans and streaming selections. See you in court. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know legally where things stand in these contracts. I haven't seen these contracts, um, so it's it's possible but, that there were there were violations of the contracts, which isn't personally the, the way I like to do business. Um, but but let's but let's step back. I, this doesn't matter really. I mean, if you really think about it long term, long term, what, long term, long term, it doesn't matter. But what Walt just said is the music business is going to be better now under streaming than it was before. If you look at the film business, I really believe that in five years, the film business will be much bigger and more powerful in five years than it is today. Think about what Netflix is. If they really have 400 million subscribers in 2026, like we think they can at a $15 ARPU, that's a $70 billion revenue line. They're going to be putting 30 to $40 billion into yeah, these, content creation. Like there might be a get, billion dollar movie. Film, filmmakers are going to get, are going to get paid. I, and like, there's less the con- risk. If the content's good enough, I'm going to go it, in the theater. In the, I'm going to, I'm going to subscribe look, to it on, there's, on the stream. There's the long term though. And there's the short term is part of this actually reminded me of um, when Netflix cut dvd off now that they pissed off consumers at the time in doing that right but it was sort of like from a pr perspective and being touchy-feely um with your partners which were at that time um your subscribers they kind of they kind of blew it but they made the right decision overall for themselves the consumers and, got, and got for the off. and for the industry of the consumers the, in no. this case it's the they artists just separated it, the companies but but at the time oh they you're, just separated you're the, kidding you're no, kidding it, dude that, that was a huge uh, mega blow up because they for investors off. and everyone else but i, don't, I think for, for consumers consu- they just kept getting their discs no consumers lost their mind because they, they had to pay raised, more they had to they pay, had to more. pay a had to lot pay more. more gotcha they purposefully severed the DVD business um, there. And there they had to do a lot of damage control because of the PR side of it and how they went about it. Remember Reed's teal blue shirt? No, I remember that. Yeah. It's and sitting like in the, now sitting I'm their, thinking uh, about stanky, <laughs> stanky at this conference, I think UBS or whoever it was this week, where he was like trying to do damage control with the artist and he was wearing a periwinkle shirt. Which is another shade of blue. Yeah, I don't and think I was just having... going to apologize like Reed did, though, or do any um, type of backtrack. I don't... Did did Reed actually apologize? He did. Yeah. He went on and apologized. There was an apology video. Yeah, remember they were in like that courtyard. There was well, was there an apology video? I mean, I it, so. but ultimately, of... it's the same thing, right? Sure. They at the time it was a PR kind of blow up and disaster. But it was ultimately where the world was going and right. the right decision. This is the exact same thing. That's well, that's and, my bottom and, line. Take and some of, this, some of this is just psychology of the uncertainty of it, right? These people just don't know what they're going to get paid, and no, no one, no right. humans react positively to uncertainty, right? We see it how it creates volatility in the markets when that happens. But when you look at Stanky and you look at the fact that they're trying to do something that's disruptive and different, they're trying to make HBO Max a must-have service, and I think having the matrix having you know the, the breadth of content that they're putting on 17 actually 18 with wonder woman 18 really large scale 
theatrical productions going straight to HBO Max and theaters, it just makes HBO Max a must have service. Just like we talked about Disney Plus is going to be must have and Netflix is must have like they are building the must have bundle of services. And the HBO's biggest problem is actually not as much subscribers. I mean, subscribers are going to grow for sure because of this. But getting people to go from HBO to HBO Max has been a struggle. And I think that's what on the slide we have up now. They said that they reached 12.6 million activations of HBO Max. That number, remember, when they reported the quarter was 8.6. And so even just even before they get to Wonder Woman, before they get to you know the Matrix, even before they get Roku done, that's just with Amazon getting done, as well as some of the recent content, they're up right. to 12.6. They're going to get to 30, I think, very, very quickly over the course of the next 18 months. That's when that's like, people gut. were ripping on, on HBO Max in the very, very earliest days. And I was like, look, it's just going to take one or two shows. Undoing was good. I know some people think it's great, but look, it was kind of like. Don't give it, it away. Was, I haven't watched it yet. But, but that was an HBO. Awful. It was good. But I think that but, that I know people that's an didn't HBO like show. The yeah, but it's an HBO show, so it's you don't need HBO Max. The, the point the, of the movie. But the other one, I, Jess is watching one called I think The Flight Attendant. Yes, yes. only on Max. HBO. And I think that's that's an industry. Industry is another one. That's the one they accelerated and they dropped all the episodes. Right. On, on yeah. Thanksgiving, so. so look, if you give people a reason from a content perspective to activate max they'll activate max right and that's and that's what we're seeing uh, if it's this show the flight attendant or industry being dropped all at once which and everyone be- should do or yeah. the movies coming later everyone who is an hbo sub will have hbo max unless they're like and There's let's just go back. Issue. Let's just go back to the CAA issue, the Nolan issue, the Villain Aweva, whatever. Well, his hold name on. Is before issue. you do that, before you do that, <laughs> I just want to point out that is. just to jump on Brandon's point, you know, Jason pointed this out on Variety yesterday. It's like it's a couple of months. They're already up to twelve six. You look at yeah. Netflix in its earliest days, like you, you know, it's going to take a little time to educate the consumer about where that stuff is, and like, yeah, would it have been ideal to wait another month or excuse me, year and have a shit ton of content and hit it out of the gate strong? Sure, but like, why not grab twelve point six million customers if you can? And, and, and I and I know Nolan said this was the worst streaming service, but every filmmaker, everyone in Hollywood, everyone <laughs> the in the agency streaming. business, they should Their all UI be UX does suck. By the way. Look, look. It's going to change. They should all be rooting for HBO Max to be huge because the more competition to Netflix, to Disney Plus, yep. to Apple TV Plus, to Amazon, the better it's going to be for creators and anyone who makes content. So they should all not be shitting on HBO Max. They should be cheering HBO Max to get as big and as successful as possible. And that's just like what I don't understand. I think they're just taking the wrong approach to thinking Rich, about the long term history of this business. Trees. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Let's talk about gaming, Brandon. Some big news to this week. Okay, so YouTube put out. Oh, I I could read this. This is from Ryan Watt, who runs gaming for YouTube. Um, the tweet says, "You all watched an impressive hundred billion hours of gaming video content on the platform, with over ten billion of those hours coming from live stream, live gaming streams. If you remember, that's doubled." in all caps, what we did in 2018, which was 50 billion plus. Yes, gaming on YouTube has doubled in size in two years. Let me just stop you for a second. Let me just stop you for a second because I ran the math because in a follow-up tweet, he talked about how our real competition now is not Twitch. It's really more like Netflix. And I actually did the math. I think Netflix is probably around 150 billion hours. So like 
it's pretty astounding. Like when you think about just and this how is big just YouTube by the is. way on YouTube, this is just, just the gaming, the gaming <laughs> vertical. Yeah. OK, yep. so that that tells you how powerful, obviously, YouTube is um, from a global perspective, which we all know anyway. But the, the doubling in two years of gaming content is pretty astounding. And it just shows gaming has as an ecosystem playing watching streamer culture has has taken share of watch time especially among younger demos now uh, that's, are, are, that's are those the top undeniable. two games would you have thought those were the top two games like when you well, think about oh, all my, the hype? Are you talking minecraft and robot so minecraft that if you go back and look at this minecraft has been on top for years now what i what i found amazing though because i went back and ran the numbers year over year minecraft um views actually doubled year over year and we're now 12 years into minecraft's existence now roblox tripled year over year which you kind of expect it's been around a while but as a platform um, you see ex and what does exponential, Fortnite look like? exponential Fortnite was up maybe 10%. Huh. That's really right? not what you would expect, right? No, but if you look at it, Minecraft and Roblox are at the top. Kids and tweens are, I guess, living in these games. And I talking about Roblox, um, and looking at Minecraft and that lasting power, as we've started to talk to investors a little bit about the Roblox IPO, one of the questions that comes up is what is the lasting power for this for this platform? And Minecraft shows in it in this space of very defined borders of what the target ages is. Minecraft has continued to grow over 12 years as new, as new experiences have been created on that platform. And Roblox has much more of a social element to it, which, <clears throat> which you know, gives it more stickiness and hooks for it to, to last as, as a platform. Um, it's just it's astounding. Honestly, it's just like when you look at what's changing, you know, we just talked about how streaming and video streaming is crushing the cable bundle and all of that. You add on things like YouTube, which represents over a quarter of time spent on connected TVs. And you look at I'm sure a lot of that is gaming consumption on big screen devices. And you just go yeah. like, you know, it's, it's no wonder that linear TV is getting killed. And it's no wonder that TV ad dollars are shifting over to streaming like that's where if and, you want to reach and, young but eyeballs. There's, but there's also rich, there's, you know, new opportunities and new businesses um, that are being continue, continue to be built on the back of this growth in the creator economy. And I read an interview with Ryan, I think it was in Venture Beat after this came out. And he said that 80,000 gaming creators hit 100,000 subs this year and 300 hit 10 million. Okay. Even, even like two or three years ago, that 300 was on one one hand or two, like maybe five to 10 creators. Um, and the, it's, I don't know. It's incredible. There's a major opportunity for businesses to be built that serve this community. And we've seen it from Patreon and 
only fans, even though that has, you know, another side to it. Um, but all of us recently invested in a company called Slipstream, which is music for these creators. And I, I think there's going to be continuous a lot of DM, opportunities a lot, a lot of DMCA, Well, a lot of DMCA takedowns and everyone's going to need more content or music content to put behind all of their creating created content. And we're seeing that whole space that the creator space is exploding and creators are becoming the new celebrities. And I think that's just going to be a major theme as you move into 2021. And it, it's uh, not even just the top, though. I mean, 80,000 gaming creators. OK, hit 100,000 subs this year. So that that fat middle actually has a lot of audience attached to it. Let's um let's shift gears over to sort of the biggest lawsuit of the week, which was the U.S. <laughs> government, the FTC, suing Facebook. The Letitia James, the Attorney General of New York, uh, along with forty-eight states, um, filed suit. And what I thought was fascinating about this lawsuit was they basically say that that Facebook acquired companies to basically stymie or stop competition. And while I'm sure buying up Instagram was seen as acquiring a competitor, I went through the whole document. So like I, I did a scan, I did a word search of the entire document for the two largest competitors that I see to Facebook today, which are Snapchat and TikTok. We've talked about both of those companies ad nauseum on this podcast over the last 34 weeks. And there was one mention on literally one spot where it says Facebook tried to buy Snapchat. We were there. Remember, Brandon, the week after that happened and had been turned down for three billion dollars. Yep. So there was one mention of the word Snapchat when they tried to buy it and they said no. And there was not one mention in the entire document of TikTok or its predecessor musically never mentioned the entire document. So you have these two. What about Pinterest? Was that mentioned? No Pinterest. <laughs> like it's just, dude, there, it's just ha there hasn't been any other innovation. It's it's just been Facebook and Instagram, and that's it. The the thing that I, I don't want to take sides in this whole thing, but what really no, you can actually, you can what, what really irked me in that pull pull the slide back up because I'll just read it out right now. Um, was we are taking this is from the New York Attorney General James. I don't know. What James's James. first name? Okay, Letitia, whatever. Letitia. Letitia. Woman. Okay. Um, we are taking action to stand up for the millions of consumers and many small businesses that have been harmed by Facebook's well, illegal what, behavior. Like, York whoa, does, hang on a, hang on a second. Do you know how many small businesses have been created and exist solely because, because Facebook, um, found them a, a way to reach consumers online, especially, dur especially during and a pandemic are, and how and for whom Facebook is the only way to to advertise and reach customers. As you said, it's especially during the pandemic. That part kind of just like blew my mind and and shows that sometimes government officials are not cognizant right. of, of like, what's exactly happening in the real world. world. Have you ever seen uh, every press release? Is like oh, that's this. how this you know. What they, this is what they do. I mean, that's not that's not anything new. I mean, it's just so far out in left field. 
Look, I didn't think that Sprint T-Mobile would get approved until I saw them put on their case in court. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of competition, so Snapchat actually announcing an integration this week with Twitter. Um, you, you don't usually think of these all these companies playing so nicely in the sandbox, but you know Snapchat's been very open to working with you know sort of other mobile platforms. They integrated Reddit very seamlessly in so that you could share Reddit content in. I think people were sharing lots of you know Twitter's about what's going on in the world, and so allowing a, a native Twitter integration really good gives gives Snapchat users more to do, but also good for Twitter because it just spreads tweets more broadly and makes it easier to link out into Twitter and into the Twitter platform. And at the same time, on top of that, Snapchat doing astrological profiles. I know Brandon's going to laugh at me for this, but I think it's a really big deal. It, it just, it's my giving- brother. Jason is very into astrology and lets me know every time Mercury is in retrograde. Uh, right. It's a fun thing to do. <laughs> Increasing, giving, giving the millennial audience, the young adult audience more to do on the platform more ways to be connected. Actually, Brendan, I don't think it's crazy. It almost feels like because you can show your astrological compatibility with somebody else. I think it could be a first move into dating. I'm telling you. I, <laughs> what is, what is I, happening I, right now? This is amazing. I'm, can we please? I'm telling on. you. I'm telling you. Okay. <laughs> is this getting gonna, deleted off the podcast or not? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm telling you. You're going to see. I told see. you not to put that in there. I didn't okay, realize let's go to the next that one. direction, Brandon. I didn't, I I I didn't realize you, you were... Out. You uh, you were so into the cosmos, Rich. I, I'm really into the cosmos, but let's go the other direction for the cosmos, Walt. Uh, let's talk about uh, our, our our president. Uh, yeah, President Trump tweeted out um, basically about NDAA, saying he's going to veto it. Must include a termination of Section 230, preserve our national monuments, and allow for 5G and true productions in foreign land. So um, I don't know if you this is be- this is like all the same crap that was there last week the thing that's different in here is this 5g what's that 5g thing well 5g there was language in this thousand i don't know it's huge report that funds the defense um that was that, kind that of needs an- to get passed correct like this bill needs to get passed to yeah to fund. i don't think it's ever been vetoed before <laughs> and i think it could get overturned with enough senators which probably what will happen um but there was specific language to one specific company which 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 was legato um, because, you know, they've been battling with, you know, those that have interest in the, in the GPS industry, which is connected to the military. It actually wasn't, the language wasn't that bad, but the 5G angle is, you know, the, the I think the difference of opinion within the Trump administration um, in terms of the importance of legato. And I think legato can still survive the language that's there, but if he vetoes it and it goes to the next administration, things will be better. And the reality is that legato is important because it can make C-band work better. And just this month or this week, the C-band auction began. Um, Rich has a, a, a you know, tweet up there talking about the first round, which got a billion seven. I think we're up to like two or three billion now in terms of the auctions. The issue is that this L-band spectrum, which, which some in the defense are fighting against, can lower the cost materially and speed the development of, of C-band based on many engineers that we've spoken to um, in terms of, um, of build-out. So you had a kind of two primary issues going on at the same time. C-band. Who else benefits from C-band? Like who else are the biggest beneficiaries of C-band? Well, the primary beneficiary is Verizon because they've kind of put a lot of their eggs in the millimeter wave basket. They don't have enough mid-band spectrum. So they need this, I think, to hold off what T-Mobile is about to bring on and what um, AT&T is, has been building in terms of their, their, um, you know, their spectrum, their spectrum rollout. So, 
Um, obviously there's going to be vendors that are going to benefit from this as, as well. And tower companies like, you know, all the, all the tower companies are going to see incremental C-band build outs as well as um, these new antennas, um, MIMO antennas that are greater weight that are going to provide incremental revenue opportunities for them. So, so C-band's a big thing. It's a big, look, it was in a part rushed. We've actually talked to people that have new interference concerns. I talked to a guy that effectively represents the airlines, um, the manufacturers. There's more, there's new interference concerns about C-band that, that seem real. We'll see, you know, they discharge ahead with on the flights. You mean people using yeah, I think the, the guys that we talked to were more reasonable than the people that were opposing Legato. They, those guys would, would you know, basically have a general show up at a hearing and say, like, you know, missiles are going to fall from the skies unless, you know, we, we resolve these interference. These people, I think, are making an earnest effort to point out an issue that they've only kind of uncovered since October. But again, getting the C-Man auction because it was connected to 5G was important for the departing Chairman Pi to get done because it's a nice, you know, Trump kind of win, 5G, everything else. We'll see if that changes with the change in the administration. But, you know, the auction is kind of on its way. It's important Verizon. And, you know, you're always going to have some issues. The other big thing that um, that Pi got done this week, and I think we have a tweet about this. Um, this one says, let's go Starlink. Um, those satellites are just itching, itching to offer broadband to all of America. What this tweet's referencing is <laughs> RDOF, which is Universal Services. <laughs> I was right, just I thinking, I, about, I was thinking and laughing about that too. <laughs> a, big, a big part of Pi's administration <laughs> was trying to get broadband to rural America. We've talked in the past about why that's also important to get DISH and DirecTV done. So one of the ways you do it is you fund build out. And there was a lot of criticism of whether you could do this via satellite. So Starlink, which is a, a subsidiary of SpaceX, which is Elon's company, had a huge validation win. It was whatever, $880 million. But the key thing was it it's the government saying that internet from low Earth, sat, low Earth orbit satellites is broadband. And they were willing to give them money to do it. Now, this whole thing's kind of fucked up because, you know, I think Charter got a billion of, of the awards as well. And but there's another Wi-Fi company, a, a random dude in in Las Vegas that was the biggest winner. Um, and, how, and how much did he get? A billion two versus eight hundred for Starlink, and like CenturyLink got like two hundred fifty million, which was a huge kind of miss by them. But I think you know it's probably not completely done yet. There's long form applications. They have to look more into this guy. Cause like, how can some random guy with a small wireless internet service provider, otherwise known as a wisp, how can we trust that they're going to be able to build fiber <laughs> into these markets? So we'll see how that progresses, but that, that was kind of a, you know, an interesting follow on. I mean, you know, Pi's exiting in a big way. He's got C-band going. He's got this RDOF auction, which is giving 10 billion, 10 billion to uh, build out rural America. And as we talked about earlier, you know, maybe we're tied, you know, the FCC gets tied up for some period of time with nothing else to, to kind of offset it. And he has the biceps going. And well, as those that are watching uh, the podcast. Yeah, see, those that are watching. There's um, a picture of Pi flexing. <laughs> you, you, you know what made that made for, me think of For those of Walt, who are just listening, no, 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 the, pose, I'm sorry. the pose was a little bicep Hulk Hogan style flex. Uh, it, all, from, all it does is remind me of when he, when he in, first started, he had that N95. huge mug. Remember yeah. that huge coffee mug that he had that Dunkin' well, Donuts coffee He still does. Mug? Even at his last FCC hearing, he had the Reese's Pieces cup. That's his kind of his signature thing. <laughs> Whatever. So, look, Legato is the last one for him to do. 
I think after this NDAA thing happens, he can still basically say, no, we're not going to consider a repetition. It's going to give Verizon and others greater clarity and we'll see what happens. But I think it's an important piece of spectrum that a lot of people ignore in terms of helping 5G rollout, which is what our country obviously needs. Well, so you're going to do- miss Pi when he's out of office, huh? <laughs> <Got it>. <laughs> <laughs> no view on that one way or another. <laughs> Um, Brandon, why don't you read this and then we can both uh, have a little this fun This is with from this. Henry Blodgett. Imagine selling your apartment or house or car in a hot market, getting offers for twice as much as you expected to get, but agreeing to sell for half that price just to give a huge overnight windfall to the buyer. That's how crazy the prevailing IPO pricing mentality is. And there's a graphic under it which was a tweet from someone else, Leslie Picker, that shows the number of IPOs that doubled on day one by year. And in 2020, there have been 19 of those IPOs. There were three last year. And pretty much in no other year since 2010 have there been more than six. Again, 19 this year. And I guess Bill Gurley talks about this all the time. Every time there's an IPO, he tweets about how bad the system is and how much money is clearly being left on the table um, through well, the current, th- th- the current th- th- system. Think, well, think about what Daniel Ek did. He basically just listed without going, yes. without selling shares. And Spotify stock is what, a double from where they actually listed? Probably more at this point. But a if, lot of companies if, coming if you are going to raise well. money, if you are going to raise money, though, right? It should probably be done in a better way than the building books by hand and guessing at the price way that's been done for forever, as proven by the the same-day stock performance by all of these IPOs. I mean, you had Airbnb was up like, what, 112% yesterday? I I don't even think in the percent gain column it fit on my Bloomberg screen. But on the flip side, Brandon, if you go back, this is Alex DeMortier. I don't know who this is, but he's um, responded to Leslie Picker's um, tweet. At LIBOR squared. And so what he said in 1999 to 2000, so over those two that two-year period, one out of every four IPOs during that period doubled on day one. There was 182. So just the idea that the, the average was 91 per year compared to that 19 in 2020. Sort of crazy that we're not back to where we were back then, but it's, this, are, are this we, has not are, been a, this has been happening for a long time. I are no, we talking? It happened, no, no, no. Is, is that a sign a, of the times and where the market is and euphoria, Rich and Walt? No, it hasn't because been all happening. Three of us remember those years. <laughs> it hasn't ha- been happening for a long time. It happened a lot in '99 and 2000, and it hasn't happened a lot in the interim. And then we're back to um, investment banks doing a bad job at pricing the market, which is companies leaving money at the table and like, how are they not pissed off the fact that these things were not priced at the right uh, part of where the demand is? That's money that should be at the, in the company's hands. Um, that, that isn't there. So, and how, you know, 20 years, they haven't learned anything. (laughs) Well, I think there's, there's two issues. One is the system clearly sucks and, and there has to be a better and more efficient way, which is pointed out 
from some prominent VC. The, 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 mar- the market two, is a little. The market's a little bonkers the, well, right that's, now, though. So, okay, okay, so you take advantage of the, of the bonkers two, market. What does this say about the market that we're in and its potential frothiness? I I understand where we're at in terms of rates and stimulus, but. So they can't figure out a way to just, so whoever's bidding these things up, and I'm not going to comment whether the value is right or wrong, but let's take DoorDash as an, as an example at 180 bucks. They couldn't figure out a way to, to distribute to those buyers at 180 bucks in a way that that money at 150 bucks. I, I was going to say, even if it, even if it was 120 bucks, <laughs> it was so, just like completely divorced. So from in, tw- in 2020, when the supply demand, when everything's dynamic. online and you've got all these different ways to access capital that they couldn't figure out a way to match it to the buyers that obviously were there in the aftermarket. Explain that to me. <laughs> I don't have a good answer. I really don't. It's sort of amazing that it's that bad. Now, and, look, and re- no C- retail. By the way, no CEO after an IPO should go up there and pat themselves on the back and say, "Oh, this is great." And the irony is, like, take take Uber. this is great. The stock doubled today. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> that like, is you, not like- that is not a great job. And the fact that the investment banks that you hired, yeah. Um, now take the flip side of that. Remember when, remember when, U- remember when Uber came public and Dara's looking over the guy's shoulder in terms of where it's going to open and like broke the deal price. Like actually he did a good job for his company. It's not a good way to start a good relationship with your investors. There's probably some balance in between, but like yeah. a double is not a good job. And you as the CEO dealing with your bankers, sorry, you didn't do a good job. Any plans for the weekend, Brandon? Um, I have to play cyberpunk. <laughs> I I downloaded it Thursday Thursday night. Uh, Rich, what are you doing this weekend? You know, I don't know. I don't really have like any real big plans this weekend. I think this is going to be. What are you doing for Hanukkah, Rich? Guys, this has been between our West Coast virtual West Coast trip last week, and then Warner Brothers news. Yeah, this has just been. I just want to take a mental break. Rich, I want to that's do AT and T news. It's not Warner Brother news. AT and T owns them. Uh, it's AT and T news. It's not Warner uh, Brother. Get it straight. Who is the overlord? Uh, it's AT and T. Stanky's the boss. Okay. What I'm way, doing for for now. I I I, I, st- I still have long term bets with people from when the deal happened that Warner would not be a part of AT&T. I said are, within are they the three same years, that, are and, they the same people and that thought I will that AT&T clearly gonna, lose the bet. And are they but, the same people that said that AT&T was going to cut their dividend? No, this is no. <laughs> Still waiting for that dividend cut. So what I'm doing this weekend, Rich, is watching Clone Wars to really supplement. So I've got my joint. I, I watched with Mandalorian with my friend on Friday afternoon, and it's a Clone Wars bitch. I did finish, however, that chess thing that Netflix had. Queen's Gambit. Not uh, good. Not I, good. I, okay. Sorry, viewers. Watched, you don't need to watch it. I watched it as well. Well, um, yeah. this, this week I watched the whole thing. Um, it took me like two or three episodes to get into it. I thought it was kind of slow. It was, I, I, it was nice to look at. And, and, you know, it had its moments, especially the last couple episodes. But I, I would just rate it a B. Or B minus. That's fair. I, yeah, I it wasn't terrible. It wasn't. No, it wasn't terrible. I mean, Carrie Fisher was is, saying this is the best thing she's ever watched in her life, and I'm like, and then I watched the first episode, and then Twitter people are like, stick with it. I'm like, okay, I stuck with it. Eh. Look, no, it, lots I of mean, it was content for different that, people. That I that I finished it. I did finish. I also finally finished Game of Thrones. 
<laughs> However many years so later. What do you think of the finale? Wait. Wait. <laughs> It's amazing. Hot take. redux on the Hot finale take. of um, <laughs> Game of Thrones. By the I, way, I forgot I to thought, I, I forgot to mention all, that last season could have been like three seasons. Everything felt too rushed. Like yeah. they were put trying to put a bow last on every totally rushed. Yeah, trying to. So don't you think put, we should push put a bow eight, on everything eight, and to Hollywood? Um, so we should continue I, to push AT and T to redo the final season of um, of Game of Thrones. It's going to be re, It's going to be written. So I don't know they, if it needs need to, to be if it's if it's redone, then it should be redone as like three more seasons. And that should play out at the pace that the rest of the series played out. It feels like they were just like, OK, we got to wrap this up <laughs> and just too too much happens too fast with very little character development anymore, which was such a big part um, of of the show. And I don't know. It was disappointing, but I felt they're like I released something re, you know, in finishing it a few years late. <laughs> you know, they're re-releasing Godfather 3 in part because he's upset about how his daughter was perceived as acting in that movie. So they're recutting it, and apparently it's going to make her acting seem better somehow. So the Godfather is going to effectively get re-released. With, so, hey, why not, why not do it? This would, this would well. take some uh, re-scripting also and like a reshooting. I guess we'll yeah. we'll have the prequel on the uh, the Targaryens, and they will probably over time. Game of Thrones will probably be like Star Wars or Marvel, and there will Cinematic be a universe. million offshoots over time. And and I will play Cyberpunk this week, and and I'll have a great and, and, and have a great and, and weekend. Then, and I need I need a new show to watch. We're um, not going to decide that now. So well, why don't you tell me what should I watch? You, you say Mando Walt, which I had tried. I watched the first two episodes. And you still haven't watched Ted Lasso. Oh, you no, go I haven't watched. Lasso. Okay. Go watch I'll, Ted watch, Lasso. I'll watch Ted Lasso and I'll report back for the next podcast. This is the way. Have, have a great weekend, everyone. Okay. Bye.